Welcome to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and I'm here with my regular co-host, Aaron Perry. Hey. And that's all Aaron has to say. That's all I need to say. (laughs) What else? What else is there to say? And this is uh, Fresh Text, which uh, is our time to gather once a week and talk about the uh, scriptural text um, assigned for the upcoming Sunday. I'm here to help uh, pastors prepping sermons and just anybody who's interested in studying the scriptures uh, more deeply. And we call it Fresh Text because it happens again and again because the texts keep coming back around, old texts, but always new. And it's also fresh in the sense that uh, Aaron and I are totally unprepared for this other than years of study. We don't know even what the text is assigned. And so you're going to hear right now. Uh, a live moment of us looking up this, the lectionary text for this coming Sunday, which is January 6th. So it's a holy day. It's epiphany. live to tape. Live to tape. It's That's the phrase. Yeah. There you go. Live yeah. to tape. Live to tape moment. <laughs> And the gospel reading, we don't always have to do the gospel readings, but that's where we've been leaning uh, lately, for Epiphany Year C is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, would you be willing to read the text for us, Aaron? Yeah. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. This is from the NIV. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There ends the reading of the text. Thanks be to God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So any first impressions? Uh, the sneakiness of Herod. All right. Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right. This clearly not his uh, intention as, as we know, because we know the rest of the story. But if you were just reading along and hadn't yet didn't know how the story ended, you know, it's a pretty good party's playing. You know, it's a <laughs> yeah. pretty good is there's some there's some intrigue there that, that what might the relationship be between these these kings that have are both on the scene, so to speak. 
we know he's sneaky, but the first reader wouldn't necessarily That's right. know, right? The first exper- first experience hearing the story wouldn't know that there was a, a ploy. Yeah, and who's, uh, who's we who know, right? That's just those of us who've maybe heard the story before mm-hmm. might have picked up on that. Yeah, you wonder if, if – if, I can't help but like wonder even first hearers and readers if Herod was known as a problematic <laughs> – to use a contemporary term – a problematic king – they may have even been surprised, like, oh, was he, like, keen on Jesus at first or something? You know, like, I, I, I do wonder – there's so many different ways you could react. Yeah, you either you either take it at face value or if you're expecting him to be a bad guy, yeah, then you're, like, surprised. Oh, yeah. why does he want to worship him? Maybe you're suspicious, but you don't really know what's going on. Matthew uses the word, uh, Herod was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with them <laughs> in in verse three. I mean, I, I'd have to look and see what the what the word is, how else it's used, of course. But it's it's a it's an interesting word, disturbed, right? You know, unsettled. There that could <laughs> that could go in a number of ways. You know, how is this? What's the what's the? Is it disturbing the peace, which would be a ah. bad thing? Is it is it ah. is it disturbing a false peace, which might just cause uneasiness? You know, what's uh, what's the disturbance that that all of Jerusalem is? is feeling that he seemingly is able to set on edge the rest of the people, which you know, is not what you want from your leaders, right? You want your leaders to bring calmness and, yeah. and and security, but his disturbance leads to the disturbance of everybody, you know? So kind of have in mind that, that parent who's when, when they've had a bad day, it kind of sets the rest of the house on edge. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You asked uh, on the front there, I want to talk about what you said there at the end, but, just to double back, you said you're wondering what the word might be. It's, mm. it's, uh, you know, Greek geek moment. Watch out. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> uh, maybe I should add music, the Greek alarm or whatever, but, uh, Greek <laughs> geek <laughs> moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just make it. Uh, it's, um, etarakthe. So it's, uh, it's from Tarasso, which is to stir mm. or disturb. It's the verb used in John. Uh, five, the angel to stir the waters. And then Jesus uses it in John 12 when he says, my, you know, my soul is stirred Mm. within me. Um, it says it again in John like 14 ish about the disciples. They're all stirred. Um, so it, it would, it's the verb that would be used for literally stirring so you think of peaceful waters yeah, 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 yeah. and then you, and you can see right through them and then you stick a stick in and spin it around and. Yeah, those hand motions are real good for podcast listeners, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> and uh, and then it gets murky and you can't see. And it was a really common term used in even the ancient world. Again, I don't know Hebrew and Aramaic type thinking, but at least in kind of Greco-Roman world, you would you a lot of philosophers would talk about this. Like you don't want your passions to be, mm. you know, terrasso yeah. stirred up stirred, because yeah. because it clouds vision. Mm. You, you can't discern when you're when you're all stirred up. And so ataraxia is a, is a state of being undisturbed that you want to be in, at mm. least in that. Again, I, I know the Greco-Roman there more maybe than, than the Jewish world, but so pardon the Greek geeking there, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think you're onto something big that, that, that even that you can play with, you know, this, you know, Herod hears this and he's stirred up. He's confused, uncertain, worried, um, you know. And all Jerusalem with him, like, right? So the news apparently is getting out and mm. what? There's mm-hmm. a new king. What's going on? Obviously, he's he's threatened by this, you know, 
And yeah, you could be a false piece. You know, Herod was actually a relatively popular king from what we know, even though also controversial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard to be a leader in the ancient, the yeah, ancient world and not be controversial. That's true. Right? That's true. That's true. But, you know, I mean, he rebuilt the, you know, right. built up the temple. temple yeah. and he, you know, so he had some fans. Yeah. But uh, had some, you know, uh, moral failings, as it were. <laughs> so Interesting yeah. that even when he is disturbed, he takes some some rational actions, right? I'm disturbed, so I'm going to bring in my my uh, counselors, my advisors. So he calls in the chief priests, teachers of the law, right? He's, he's bringing in people for more perspective, so that huh. uh, he's getting he's getting info to go uh, along with his disturbance. You know, interesting. Now that that's a good leadership act, right? That that's a <laughs> that's a good step to take. When you're disturbed, rely on those who maybe aren't as disturbed as uh, you are. Yeah, it's weird too, especially in. You know, all the Gospels have this, but especially Matthew has this dynamic of, you know, the, you know, the, these are the chief priests and the scribes um, of the people. They are going to have a lot of opportunities to look really bad over the course of the Gospel, right? Hmm. But, I mean, when they're gathered here, they give the answer that, like, you know, that that, that Christian readers are going to want to hear, right? Like, this is the... Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. Like, I don't know what he's trying to say. My hunch is he he wants us to see that um, even the chief priests and and scribes, like the, the very people who are going to put Jesus to death at the end of the story, um, are they knew where he was to be born. This was not mm. this this you know what I mean. This yep, wasn't yep. some kind of like strange possibility. They he's kind of slipping in a little bit of uh, prophetic fulfillment into the voice of otherwise uh, problematic characters, which is again, I guess a little bit to Herod too, where it's like these characters that are, you know, going to be uh, problematic sooner or later. <sighs> strange, strange, especially cause I mean, we just spent, you know, you and I both geeked out a lot in the gospel of John and how, like how in John they're like, wait, the Messiah is not supposed to come from Bethlehem. Like, like you wonder, like, you know, but, but Matthew makes it really clear. Like he, he's painting a picture of a, you know, of a scribal community of Pharisees, of Jewish leaders who are totally on board with this idea that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, even if they don't believe that Jesus is the one. Hmm. Yeah. So what's, uh, what else is going on here? What's, uh, what's weird here? What do you notice? Well, re- reflecting on the dream. So the, I mean, if I'm playing with this experience of being disturbed, um, hmm. Herod is disturbed, and and uh, to have a a warning in a dream would be a disturbing thing. Huh. Uh, especially, uh, it seems that they are all all warned. Um, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. You know, it doesn't seem like there's one person speaking out and sharing, here's my experience. It seems that there's just kind of a uh, a communal experience, a communal um, sharing of a, of a dream that, that warned them. And, I mean, that would – that doesn't happen every day, right? That you have a, a – across however, however many are in this traveling party, this group of magi, um, how many are there? They have the shared, the shared dream, the shared warning. Yeah, I was only flipping back because back in chapter 1, verse 20, apparently the angel of the Lord that comes to Joseph appears in a dream. Yeah, right, right. And so you get yeah. this dream. Yeah, which even there you think of uh, – I mean his name's Joseph, right? And so 
named after the great dreamer who mm-hmm. received revelations through dreams and, and all the travel that happens in that story. And yeah, this is, this is strange that and, they, and he is protected in Egypt as well. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Oh, right. 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 Yeah. Slipping off to Egypt at the end. Yeah. Um, well, you get the dream then in Egypt is in verse 13, the, just outside our passage, right? Now, when the Lord departed, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, right? I think that was after. Uh, it's Did before you read through it's, 12. It's before and after. It's, well, 13, I, I read through 12, so 13 comes after that. Yeah. Um, and he has another dream. Right. So you have, that's the, the, so there's at least three dreams here, right? Right. He, he's, uh, he's appeared to in a dream. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The dream uh, of the of the to the magi, magi, and then the dream to Joseph again when it's time to to get up and take and take the child to Egypt, and of course, right? It was Joseph is protected in Egypt, uh, or or uh, yeah, Joseph is protected in Egypt in in Genesis, um, yeah, as opposed to being you know left left in a pit or or killed outright and now jesus is protected in egypt as well right the great so you mentioned the great dreamer joseph yeah joseph has dreams magi have dreams there's a theme perhaps there's a theme uh going on through here doesn't herod's wife have a dream and like warn him that this is an innocent or is it pilate's wife pilate's wife wife. yeah is that in matthew i don't remember we don't have to go there i just was kind of like i don't know i was having this like you know (laughs) Uh, this dream theme was jumping out at me. Hmm. Yeah, this being warned in a dream yeah. not to return to Herod. They departed for their own country by another way. Which, going back to your first observation about the sneakiness of Herod, I mean, it's possible that up to the point of the dream, they were actually planning on uh, spying for Herod. Uh, you know what I mean? Not knowing mm, that yeah. they would be, they, they were going to be unwitting spies, mm-hmm. right? Although, you know, verse seven, it's very clear that he did this privately, right? Then secretly, it says privately, Herod called the Magi to ascertain to from them the time that the star appeared. So he's kind of getting this kind of information, very interesting. Just to go back to the dream theme again. So it is Pilate's wife who who says to Pilate, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So there's there's that element. And What was that, 27? Uh, sorry. That's all right. 27 verses uh, 19 and 20 in there. Verse 19 has that phrase specifically. And then Joseph as well is communicated to – God communicates to Joseph in a dream that it's time to go back, to go back um, to uh, his home, his hometown. And then he's warned again but uh, because Archelaus is, is reigning. And so he kind of withdraws to, to backwoods, right, into, into Nazareth. So there's, wow. there's more dreams that are, are going on, which I'd never picked up before. This – there's one, two, three, four, five mentions of dreams within just over a chapter in Matthew, uh, Matthew one and Matthew two. Huh. Well, I mean, not to lean too much on comparison to other texts, but I mean, I have next to no recollection of any references to dreams in any of the other gospels. Hmm. Right. Mark doesn't talk much about dreams. Luke has infancy narratives, just like Matthew. 
Christmas stories. And there, you know, angels appear, but they don't, they're not framed as dreams. They're framed as like apparitions, right? I mean, the angel appears before Zechariah. The angel appears to Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No mention of dreams there. Um, this isn't a, uh, sometimes people point these sorts of things out as, as if they're like problems. Um, I'm just pointing them out as just contrasts. Like, I wonder yeah. if, if Joseph, I mean, excuse me, Matthew has a, uh, a particular, I don't know, fascination with, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. When you're writing a story, there's so many details to be left out and to be told. So I'm not saying he's just making stuff up. I'm saying he's choosing to highlight something yeah. that the others are not. And, and yeah, we mentioned Joseph, of course, Daniel too was this famous dreamer. Yep. Um, and notice both Joseph as dreamer and Daniel as dreamer are, are dreaming and receiving revelation through dreams and helping others interpret their dreams in the context of, you know, uh, oppression, exile, being outside of their space. And I'm remembering that the suggestion that some biblical scholars make, it's not a consensus, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of valid view that, that uh, a lot of, Jews at the time of Jesus thought of themselves as in exile, even in Israel, right. because of the Roman occupation. Right. Um, again, that's debated, but it's at least interesting enough that, you know, that this moment is being painted by Matthew in this very kind of, you know, exilic exodus kind of way, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I don't know if there's something to play with there, but. That's one of the things that comes to mind when I think of dreams is when I th- is makes me think of Joseph Daniel and what that brings with it in terms of an oppressed people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any other uh, sort of insights or observations before we uh, take a break and transition to thinking about how we might preach with texts like this? Anything else we want to get in under the wire? <laughs> uh, thinking about the, the gift of myrrh. You know, kind of a uh, a gift that so there so it's used in burial processes. Uh, it's used in in kind of a an enticing way, right? You'd you'd sent a a bed, and you'd sent a body, um, both in in life and in death, to preserve it and to keep the the not preserve it, but to keep the odor odor down. Mm. That was an interesting gift to bring here. You know, I wonder if there's a. I wonder if there's a symbolic element to the the end of Jesus' life, right? Where his life is headed in in this, and 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 if there is, if it would have been picked up by this child's parents, hmm. how how awkward a gift that would be, you know? It's like it'd be like you know <laughs> you have a baby and people are bringing you diapers and they're bringing you wipes and they're bringing you onesies and somebody brings you like a life insurance pa- package <laughs> yeah you know, right like, it's like uh, uh... <laughs> thanks you know i don't know i don't know or <laughs> like axe deodorant since like, uh he's not he's still a baby <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's something i don't know interesting that, interesting that myrrh, I'm trying to remember if that's the if that's the same stuff that the woman, you know, anoints hmm. Jesus. Uh, that might be that might be too far afield, but it would be, you know, it would be somewhat confirming. 
of that insight that at least the author might be tucking away a hint at something, even if it wouldn't be obvious right. in the moment. Right. Um, I can't remember if that's the same word. That's well, that's part of what we can do here. Actually, it occurs to me as we're saying that in, in fresh text style is, you know, you throw out an idea and, you know, we don't necessarily have to, you know, <laughs> chase down every yeah. hunch. Yeah. This, but, this uh, is part of the process of, of wrestling through a text. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. This, this is the, this is the process that goes through when you're asking questions of it. Yeah. 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 And I guess to make even a kind of uh, process comment is I often find that if I have like a journal out and I write down things I might look up later, that actually goes – like if I go and look them up right away, you know, pop out the smartphone and look it up, um, sometimes the creativity and the buzz of mm. studying the text gets cut off because, yeah. oh, I get my question answered and now I'm kind of like, oh, wait, what? and I lose my track of thought. you yeah. know. And So there's some benefit to just – you know, jotting down all your thoughts. Look, I'll look those up later. And then you have your time when you do research, but you don't want research to kick in too soon. You know, it's good to just make observations and, and you can follow them up later. You know, I, I'm thinking about this in the, in the preaching moment as well, because the, the sermon ends up being crafted in a way that tends to cut out the rabbit trails that you've gone on to see what's uh-huh. there. And the sermon cuts all those things out because you find out there wasn't anything there, Right. at, at least, at least in your Sure. Shortened week, right? When you're trying to put the sermon together. And I think one of the effects that it can have on our people is like, uh, oh my goodness, pastor never makes a mistake. And pastor, oh, that's ne- a good pa- pastor never has a, has a false yeah. trail, right? Pastor never goes down a, an avenue. And, and even when I'm, I'm thinking about this now, when I do devotions with my children or with my families and when they're, when they're brave enough to ask a question, how I have to often guard myself from giving an answer. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. sometimes I don't know. And, and I'm, I hope I'm humble enough to say I don't know, but sometimes saying, just affirming the question and how that sparks a new thought is so good just to kind of leave that open yeah. because it's so true. I mean, even after you've wrestled with the text and done study and, and preached it a number of times, there still are insights that you haven't had. And we started with that courage to ask questions and fostering that in our people, whether they're our families mm. or whether they're our parishioners and in our churches, I think it's so important. And sometimes we can squelch that by having a fast answer or by yeah. having a, a sermon that doesn't let them in on the wrestling that we go through with the text, the journey of discovery and not just the result. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the sermon so often is the result. Yeah. You know, and, and we're often trained to do that. And, and there's some unintended consequences that I think emerge from that. Yeah, I remember hearing a sermon from a friend of ours uh, from a couple of months ago and he he had a kind of one of the parts of the sermon there was a bit of a question he had been asking and was looking and finally figured it out element in the in the in the in the sermon mm. that at least let us in behind the door a little bit mm-hmm. into the process yeah. you know so there was yeah. an answer but it wasn't just like you know well duh this is what it is it was like I didn't know and then I found it you know yeah. and it was kind of and that gave a certain kind of invitation to that kind of exploration. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Well, let's take a short break and we'll come back and start talking about um, sermon ideas. Okay, we're back to fresh text and we're transitioning per our custom uh, in the second half to exploring uh, where we might go with this. If we were going to preach a sermon on this, uh, throwing out some ideas um, that wouldn't close off the study of the text, but might guide it as we would keep digging back in. But um, any uh, any initial thoughts that are emerging for you? 
Aaron? Uh, I, I tell you how I would preach this, just if I had to preach it right now, is I'd do a contrast between the command of Herod to go and make a careful search for the child, and and in giving that to somebody else has, in a sense, sealed his fate. On the other hand, the Magi who uh, see the star yeah. and then come to the house are overjoyed, and they bow down and worship him, right? That... that I think I would preach. I think that there's a way I, I could maybe preach it like that. That this search for the child cannot be one that we export to other people. Yeah. It has to be one that we go on our own, and and keeping our eyes open for the for the star. Right. I think I I think that there would be a contrast I'd play with there. Yeah, you can't outsource the search yeah. for the Christ yeah. child. Yeah, yeah. Which occurs to me. Can I stick in a little comment? thinking about that and tell me how this plays off of that. Um, so this text is a sign in the, the, the lectionary that we follow just because it's a, it's common and used uh, in enough different contexts that we think it is a helpful place to start. And, you know, but it, it's assuming this kind of this epiphany idea that's not commonly paid attention to in the West. You know, we have the Christmas and then 12 days later, there's epiphany and there's a lot of debate about what Epiphany originally celebrated. Um, there's a number of different possibilities, wedding of Cana, the first miracle, the baptism, but uh, the Magi, the, 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 the revelation, the Epiphany, a manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles that that began even early in his life. And of course, it's actually kind of convenient because of course we have the little nativity set that have like the Magi there and the shepherds there, but really those are two different stories that we kind of smush together and actually it helps to kind of think of it on its own day and to have kind of wise men day is January 6th. So of course, I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of listeners might be at churches where it's kind of like, once you hit Christmas, you're done and you move on. Um, So we respect that might be the case. Hopefully you can still enjoy studying the the word with us. Um, But uh, I do kind of wonder like, what does it mean to, like, what would it be like to even preach this text a week or two after Christmas? And how would you, if it's okay for me to put you on the spot, just kind of ask, like, if you were preaching this passage, like, how would you, with that sermon idea, how much would you connect it up to those Christmas themes? How much would you just kind of leave that behind and just make it, hmm. you, know, you know, how do you manage that? Because I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who might really appreciate the liturgical calendar, but are in congregations that don't. And they don't want to just like talk down to them, but like want to try to introduce things. Is this making sense? It's yeah. kind of a more generic question, but like if you were thinking, how, if you were preaching that sermon, how would you approach it in a way that's both Christmas and not, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think that because it, it has such a, in the smushing together of stories, has already a Christmas feel to it, yeah. that I wouldn't even need to draw attention to it. Okay. That that's already going to be. That's already going to be implicit, right? There's, there's yeah. already going to be that that atmosphere, and and how do you get mad at somebody preaching the, the biblical text? Still, you know, so <laughs> That's true. people are like, "We're past Christmas," you know. If, if, if they're rooted <laughs> in the text, then then you wouldn't have to overdo it. There's already going to be some. Uh, it's, it's already going to have a, a, a smell of incense. Let's say like that. What a what a play that was. It's already it's already going to have a smell. It's already going to smell Christmas like gold incense, incense right? and myrrh. <laughs> it's already going to have a, that that flavor is already going to be there. The scent is already going to be in the air just from reading it, right? Just from reading this story, people are going to are going to have a Christmas theme, and then I think you could you could preach it in a way that that did fit the context, maybe of stuff that had just gone on that week or where or where your church is and what season it's in or, or a word that you're discerning for the congregation that week that God is giving to you. Um, I think that, I think that God 
maybe does the I think that the history does the heavy lifting for us, so we wouldn't have to necessarily connect it back to Christmas until uh, maybe in a future year. Maybe if you've done that two or three times, um, and people are like, "Wait, we've we've preached the same text a few times," you know, mm. um, and and we do preach some of the same text through Christmas that people maybe would then be open to it or start asking questions about why you did that. There might be a natural in that you could make to doing more liturgical teaching yeah. on it. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. That's great advice. No, I think it makes sense. I, that was helpful. Um, yeah, I was hoping you hadn't thought about it. So I'd get your fresh, <laughs> fresh verbal texts from you. But, um, cause I, the, the sermon, your, your sermon idea made immediate sense. So I wanted to zoom out a little bit and ask about some structure. Um, yeah, the, you know, honestly, and you know, I'll just, I guess, uh, good ideas are always, uh, stolen, right? But man, when you talked about being stirred, that just, you know, that stirred something in me, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can totally imagine a sermon emerging Mm -hmm. around that theme, you know, what disturbing news have you gotten lately, you know, and that can be private news, but it can be, you know, public news that we all know about talking about how the news disturbs us. I mean, I could talk about how whenever I watch the news, even for like two minutes, um, at, you know, the YMCA after a jog. And I like happen to take my headphones out and notice the news on the screen and how I get stirred up, yeah. you know, like yeah. there's no word for it better than the passions get stirred uh, by the news in that sense, but also private, you know, personal family news that we get and how that disturbs us. And then exploring how do we respond when we get disturbing news? Um, now that would be very much a, I, I'd, I'd be kind of, jumping off and into uh, a space very beyond the text. So I'd, ha- I'd probably end up finding myself wanting to double back and see maybe different ways of responding to disturbing news. You know, Herod's way of, he tries to control, you know, when he gets disturbing news. Yeah. Uh, he tries to, uh, which is often what I do. You know, I start manipulating and, and studying and investigating and let me learn, let me understand, then I'll be okay. If I understand a thing, it can't hurt me. I always say is my, is my, uh, my, uh, the life philosophy that I am learning, trying to unlearn, you know, is the kind of <laughs> tendency to think if I can understand about something and yeah. if I'm in control and I'm in the know, uh, you know, versus, uh, yeah, again, the magi just kind of you know, following the clues and not really having it all sorted out. Mm. Um, and Joseph and the dreams could play into that. The dream theme mm. could play into that of, you know, that can be disturbing news. Hey, you know, a bunch of people are going to die. You need to get out of town. That's disturbing news, but you, you go, you, you know, you, you take the risk and make the choice. Mm. Uh, I don't know that again, I was joking and saying it was stolen, but I mean, you, you're the one who picked up on that. I, I had never really like, caught that verb before. And then when you asked, you wondered what it was, I looked it up and I got excited because yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. such a history of reflection around, um, Atarkia in the, in the, in the ancient tradition. So, um, all of which would be, uh, left in the, uh, study and wouldn't make it into the sermon. I probably wouldn't talk about Atarkia in a sermon, <laughs> but I mean, I mean it's, it's, you know, but it's, it's background, yeah. background noise for me it would help me think through what I would want to say. Yeah. But even, even that, sometimes that is, that's the exact thing that helps our, our people know the journey that we went on. Mm-hmm. Because especially if you're able to play it out narratively or, or existentially, how other people 
experienced being disturbed and what that meant for others. So that, that you're, you know, dangling threads that people can hold on to, mm. gr- grasp onto. How do, with which experience of being disturbed do they identify? Now, there's a number, cause uh. all of Jerusalem is, is disturbed. So it'd be, there'd be different ways of what that disturbance looks like. Um, you almost wonder how would the, how would the, the chief priests and teachers of the law have felt about telling the truth here? When a disturbed king yeah, is right. worried about Where's the where's this king supposed to be born? You might not want to. The correct say, answer is in the palace. It's your son. <laughs> yeah, right. Ah. Yeah, you might not want to say, "Oh yeah, this is right here. This is, this is exactly what we'd expect." You know, you, you <laughs> might you might defer to another more politically correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, there's so that uh, quick find a proof text. It'll make Herod happy. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, right. You know, maybe find a new. T- oh no, this is it. But this is the, this is the wrong time, right? Find find a, a way to to couch the truth. In in a in a broader law, uh, I don't know. You find you find something else. Like there would be dis, it would be disturbing for them because they're part of Jerusalem, you know. So presumably they're part of those who are disturbed, um, along with Herod. Their their experience gets teetered teetered out a little bit more. So I think I think that you know, th- there's ways as preachers we can teach that that don't just fill heads, but that that put hooks into hearts, hmm. right? Like oh, that's how I might experience it. Right, as a person with responsibility, or maybe there's maybe you can talk to people who are without power, and what is it what is it like to be without power when somebody with power is disturbed? What does your disturbance mm-hmm. look like? Um, there's you know you got with power, you've got responsibility to power, you got people without power, and there's different ways that just dis- being disturbed would would play out for each one of those that maybe our people in our church could kind of grab onto that. Yeah. This sermon just got a lot better. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> is that part of what you're meaning when you say you could play out the thought? narratively and existentially is that yeah. part of yeah. what you're meaning like yeah. that you were that was an example of it yeah, just that, what you're that, doing that's it yeah so that phrase captured me and i wanted to see if i was going to ask you to follow up but yeah. i think you already did that was is kind of actually exploring the story filling it out a little bit in ways that would connect with and the, it, con- and, the congregation in the moment yeah. and yeah. it's all potentials right it's not it's not saying like oh this is what the text is saying it's right. just it's playing out what are what are potentialities of the text yeah what, um, going into the experience a little bit. And even you wouldn't, I mean, and you can make it complex by not painting Herod strictly as a bad guy. Cause yeah. as, as we said, he, he did good. He did some really good things. He obviously did some horrific things yeah. in just a little bit, but there's, there's, um, it gives you a chance to see what does, what does his reign being threatened? What does that potentially do for the people in his care? Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it has implications for him that obviously he, he hates, but there might be a, there might be a side of him that he knows better him in charge than, than somebody else. Right. And he's got his own succession plan. Devil, you know. And so it gives you a chance to, <laughs> to play into some complexity a little bit, which, you know, when I read the word disturbed, there's a complex experience that goes along with that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that, 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 that really helps you. The image you gave earlier that really grabbed me was the one of the when the parent comes home from and they're disturbed how it Mm. sets the whole house off Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that just like really clicks you know i know what that's like i've experienced it on both sides Mm -hmm. of that relationship and how yeah it's just you you can be disturbed with herod that doesn't mean you have to like you know like him you could feel you know totally oppressed by him but still be disturbed when he's disturbed because you know better that he's happy so that we don't have uh, great violence, which is precisely what comes. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is precisely what comes in the next story. That that is, um, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, it's almost uh, it's almost time. So uh, 
think we should wrap up here. Um, it, it's good for it's good for the listeners to know that we come yeah. to these points of like you, you get momentum and you get going and then you kind of like yeah yeah you gotta yeah. let it sit for a little while and and after talking about this for forty five minutes it's it's in some ways it's like you, something is crystallizing but then you're also got nothing yeah <laughs> all at the same time yeah. you know and this is part of the process that's, of, that's exactly of, where it's at and we don't we definitely don't we want to open avenues not close them off that's mm. why you know this is not in place of. A Sunday sermon, but the beginnings of a process yeah. that moves towards that. Well, uh, I've got a prayer here that I looked up that's kind of thematic. I'll say this prayer and then I'll ask one more question. We'll wrap up. All right. Sound good. So, oh God, light, a God of light and peace, whose glory shining in the child of Bethlehem still draws the nations to yourself. Dispel the darkness that shrouds our path that we may come to kneel before Christ in true worship, offer him our hearts and souls, and return from his presence to live as he taught. Amen. Amen. All right, before we uh, say goodbye, anything you want to plug? What's going on uh, on the on your podcasts? And Boy, well, I would, I would really suggest... Uh, especially with the working with the biblical text that we've got some episodes that have just published with uh, Dr. Dan Freemeyer and Dr. Larissa Levicheva Joseph on tough questions from the Old Testament and I and I had in mind some of my my atheist friends who have real challenges and I tried to keep them you know on the spot not let them off with easy answers so those might be good for folks mm. to listen to and also to to keep stay tuned because we've got some Coming up with uh, those are ask a Old Testament scholar. We've got some ask a New Testament scholar coming up too. That I think try to get into some some thorny questions. Will that be dropping in January. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Pr- probably January, maybe maybe early February. But they're Great. coming out, and they're all good, John. Yeah, I of mean, course, of course. I know. Worth, just you know, they're all worth a listen. Uh, but those are fun. Those so are that's the Wesley Seminary podcast that Aaron hosts, and where Fresh Text got its uh, you know start as an infancy. Um, I don't have any other podcasts I'm currently hosting, but this is when I would plug them if I did. So, uh, alas, but, um, anyway, great. Uh, so, uh, I guess we're done. So have a good preach.